Amen. It's good to be together, isn't it? Good for us to gather, and I just thank God for his faithfulness. Amen. Isn't God faithful? God is so good, and he's so faithful. I'm going to have a, a little bit of word for us today. Is that okay with us? Is that all right for everyone here today? I got some scriptures here, and I was asking the Lord, even right up until the sermon, I said, Lord, uh, you know, this is what I'm, I'm bringing, and uh, you can do and say whatever you want. So I just hand it over to him. Um, but what I have now is a lot of scripture, so I just want to get right into it. We just want to thank him again that for his word. God, I just want to say thank you that you have preserved this book, Lord. It's not just a book, but it is filled with life. And that every single verse in that book, Lord God, is there on purpose. And Lord, I thank you that if we would dig into it, we would find life and life abundantly because you are within those words. We thank you, Jesus, that your word right now, as it's being spoken, will bring that life. Amen. I just wanted to, uh, I sought the Lord and I said, Lord, sometimes I have a theme going through my mind for weeks on end and sometimes I'm constantly before him, okay, Lord, what do you have for right this minute? What do you have for today? So I came before the Lord and I felt like the Lord told me to look at the book of James and uh, I've read the book of James. If you're a believer, you've read the book many, many, many times, right? It's, the, it's one of those go-to books when you don't know what to read. So it wasn't that though. I feel like the Lord directed me to it. So um, I went there, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm just going to read through it. I'm not going to try to find a sermon. I'm just going to read through the book, and it was pretty quick that I was able to read through it, especially knowing the book. But I just noticed um, a theme that I think we've noticed before as believers, if you've read through it many times, but I noticed that there was a theme right from chapter 1 to chapter 5. And James, you have to understand, is a letter. It's not a gospel. So like the Gospels were written as an account, right? It was an account of what Jesus did. Uh, even Acts was written as an account of what happened in that time. Uh, but James was written as a letter. So who knows, when you sit down to write a letter, you're going to start with an idea, and then you, you, know, you get off into tangents, oh, by the way, this, by the way, this, by the way, this, by the way, this. But there's a general theme of why you wrote a letter, and you want to start that topic and end, the, end it that way. Is that right? Who's written a letter in your life, right? You might start one way, and then you get off into all these other things, which are good nuggets, right? You can actually pick a nugget out of the Bible and have life in it. But uh, many times, uh, that's fine to do. I pick scriptures even out of context, and people get upset at that, and it gives me encouragement that day um, from the Lord. And I think that the, that's how the Lord uh, encourages lots of people. But the book was written... As a book. So I just wanted to read just some tidbits together to create one picture as quickly as I can here, not to rush through it, but so that uh, I can get through what I have. Uh, so the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2. I just wanted to immediately start here, right at the beginning. It says, Brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. And I just want to say now, I can't promise it. I'm, not, I'm going to try to not preach yet. I just want to read, but I'm not promising that that will happen. So I may get off. But he just says, you know, things are going to happen. Consider an opportunity for great joy. And he goes into our faith being tested, verse 3. And he's saying you need to let it be tested because some endurance 
you know, it's going to have a chance to grow. So your faith is going to grow. So uh, troubles, that's okay because God's going to use it. Everybody say God's going to use it. So verse 4 says, so let it grow because when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete needing nothing. So God's doing something and what James is immediately attacking is something that we're going to get into through the book that there was uh, this struggle within this community, within this church, this, this time period and this place that um, they needed to remember again that it's the Lord that we must be focused on, that it's Him that we must rely on. So it says, so that then if we would do this, we'd be complete needing nothing. And then he says in verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. And then he says something, and, and there's so many sermons through James. I mean, you could spend literally six weeks, you could spend a year just taking these chunks, these such good nuggets in James, and, and have sermons just on these things. But he says um, another verse that we know so well. He says, when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Everybody say, in God alone. Now, that's going to be a key today that I want us to get. I believe that's what the Lord is speaking today, is in God alone. He says, do not waver. Everybody say, do not waver. So he says, for a person with divided loyalty, I want you to say that out loud, divided loyalty. So it's God alone, because someone who with divided loyalty would it not be God alone, right? It's God and something else, God and someone else, right? So James says, Listen, there's some trouble coming, some things coming, but God's going to use it because it's going to make you. Everybody say, it's going to make you. I want you to say this. God didn't create the situation in your life or in my life, right? But God will use it to make us seek him, look to him, trust in him alone. Right? So that's what God does, doesn't he? Who has had that happen in your life? Many, many, many times, right? So you're kind of going through a struggle. You're, you're wondering, you're struggling, you're striving, or whatever it is, but it makes you dig into God and trust in him if you really care for God and you want the Lord. And that's really the question James is asking here. So he says, because if you're divided, that's like being unsettled as a wave of the sea, because the wave of the sea is just tossed around. There's no form to it. it, it there's no control. There's, it's just going to be craziness. So he says, such people, verse 7, should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. Again, remember, these chunks of scriptures as you're reading through James we've you've heard all of these things I'm about to read including what I've just read as sermons themselves but they're all connected James sat down to write one letter with one main theme so I wanted to connect these dots because what he's trying to say here is that there's a division that's within your souls but I want you to learn to trust in God alone. So he continues. We're going to skip all the way over to James chapter 4. There's so much nuggets in, in between, but let's just connect the dots here from James 1 to 4. So he says, verse 1, What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme 
and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So, connecting James 1 to James 4, we see, again, what is he still hammering on? He's saying, listen, you're in a situation, you're in some troubles. In some ways, he's implying that whatever they're in maybe was even self-inflicted. But here's what's going on. You have uh, experienced um, what it means to trust in God and try to trust in the world and trust in yourself. And what happens when that happens is that you're going to have some chaos and some craziness. Um, but he says this. He says, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You're asking for yourself, asking for your own gain. And so he says, verse 4, you adulterers. Now, he's talking about adultery with God. That means that you're in love with God, but you're also in love with the world. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Of God. There's that division again. So James 1, divided loyalty. James 4, we're getting deeper into what the divided loyalty is. And what he says is, this is so interesting because I'm not preaching, I'm just reading. But what he's saying is, is that even being a friend, now he's not talking about being friends with people of the world. We need to reach the people, right? We need to reach them. But friendship with the world, in other words, it's not, and it's not even that you can't be, we're still in this world, everybody needs a place to sleep, and everybody needs a mode of transportation to get to and from, and everybody needs clothes on them, right? And food in your belly, eventually. You know, you can have all kinds of layers and levels of that. Some people spend a lot on those things, some people spend less, but we all need those things. So this world, he's not talking about that you can't be in this world, and you can't have the things of this world. You can't have them, but do those things have you? It's not that you can't have the things, but do the things have you? And what he's talking about is that it's not even that he was saying that you're obsessed with it. He even just says, to be a friend, I was, I've read this so many times, but I was kind of struck by this, that he's even saying, even just to be a friend of the world makes yourself an enemy of God. Even just to be just a little, you know what a friend is, right? Someone you're comfortable with. You're just a little too comfortable with this world. And what it's doing is subtly, you don't even realize, but subtly it gets into your being and you begin, we, we do it, and I'm going to read some things uh, in, in a moment that's going to bring it together. But <laughs> subtly, you don't even realize, but you start sinking back into your own strength. You start creating you start painting the white picket fence again, right? White picket fence got neglected because you were focused on the Lord, but then before you know it, you're painting that fence again. That thing just keeps coming back, right? The white picket fence just keeps coming back. We keep rejecting it because we're like, no, we've got to keep our focus on the Lord. We know the time is short. We need to focus on him, and then before you know it, you're back painting that fence, making that look pretty again. 
And in the Lord says to us, he says, he says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate in the spirit he has placed within us. There's some different versions of this, this verse, but I just want to focus on this. It says that we should be faithful to him, that our spirit was designed to be in connection with him and faithful to him. And then he gives them hope, and he says, I'm going to give you grace because I love to give grace. So he says, here's the key. He says, humble yourselves, verse 7, before God. And who knows this? Here's another sermon. All, right, all these verses, all these bits of, from James are sermons themselves. So he says, humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So we have another connection, that this war within us, this struggle of the world, is also associated with the devil, because this is what the devil's going to do. Just like God is trying to offer his grace and his love, his communion with us, really, and eternity, and the blood of Jesus, he's offering these things to us as a promise. And he says, hey, I've done all this for you. I just want you to love me. And he doesn't force us like robots to love him. He could. He's God. He could have designed us to be forced into it. But we have the freedom to love him. Who's thankful for that? Just as a parent or as a spouse, you want your spouse or you want your children, you want them to love you because of you, not because you're forcing them, not because they're obligated, but because they want to love you back in the same way God wants us to love him back. But Satan has also created a system of rewards that if you will love him without even knowing it, he will reward you and give you this world. And who has seen the epitome of that, right? Who has seen the darkest darkness, right? the, the richest of the rich? You know, it's funny. I don't, want to, I don't really want to talk about money, but riches is in here. And in fact, it's, we're going to read it in a moment in James 5. But we're talking, I'm not talking about a millionaire. Like, that's not even rich anymore. You realize a millionaire is not rich? We're talking like these guys, these top guys, you, do you realize? It doesn't even make sense. It's not even money anymore. Like I mentioned it some weeks ago, you know, $200 billion. Do you even understand what that is? A billion dollars is 1,000 millions. 200, 1,000 millions. It's not even, so we're talking like there are riches of this world that are just beyond our, even our, comp our comprehension. So I don't want us to think about the numbers. I don't want us to focus on, oh, I can't, you know, pastor, what are you saying? You just started preaching and you're, you're telling me I can't have anything in this world. And I don't want to, I don't even want to talk about, uh, think of the things themselves or the money themselves, except that I just want us to be aware that the enemy, that that's where the road goes, that if you seek him, if you seek after the enemy, you don't realize it, but you're just seeking this world. You're like, I'm going to build my kingdom here. And you keep going on that route, and you can be successful. You can do it. There is, there is an end to that, and it can be success, but it's, the Bible tells us so clearly, right? What is it? That it doesn't matter how big your castle is, doesn't matter how nice the clothes is, eventually it all crumbles down. Eventually, even the nicest, most prettiest metals uh, they all get corroded, right? We were just talking, to Rick and I were just talking yesterday. You put up the plastic fence, right? So then you don't have to paint it, except that it gets covered in mold that you have to power wash, 
right? The, the things of this earth, right, as pretty as they are and as nice as they are, and we try to do nicer things so then it's less maintenance, but eventually this whole world, that's how it is. It's going to keep crumbling and keep falling apart because this is not it. But we have a place in heaven. We have a place in Christ. And that's why he tells us, I want you to do this. I want you to humble yourselves. I just want you to... The devil has offered you this world, and that's what it seems like happened here in the book of James, that the devil had offered them the world, and they were pitting and fighting to try to have the things of the world. And he's saying, I need you to decide today. I need you to decide today, do you want God or do you want this world? So he says, humble yourselves before the Lord. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Now, if time allows, I'm going to try to talk about uh, an idol of the Old Testament. I can't promise you that it won't be next week by the time we get there. But so I'll just say very quickly that we all go, we don't have idols anymore, right? Who's read the Old Testament and be like, well, that's not our issues. We don't have idols, but we do, we just don't know it. All right, the devil has created a system of idol worship. We, even, we literally even call it American Idol. <laughs> it's like right under our noses that he has slipped in, right? That's the American dream, right? To be successful. What's the American Idol? The idol, the idol is not that they're good singers, right? It's that they make it. They could be a good singer, right, for the Lord and be in a church, but that, what's that matter, right? That's what Katy Perry said. You know that Katy Perry had an album, a Christian album? She came from a Christian home. She went on American Idol. She didn't make it. Do so you know what she did? She's like, fine, I'm just going to go live for the world. And so Satan said, sure, I'll bless you. And, you know, she, she joked about it, but she had an interview where she giggles, and she goes, you know, they're talking about her success, and she goes, well, I sold my soul to the devil. Now, she just giggled like it was a joke, right? But come on, guys, we, us sitting here in the church, let's, let's just look at this. So you are a Christian artist, and you weren't as successful as you, as you thought you should be in this world. But maybe you were doing exactly what God wanted you to do, and your success is not based on this world, but based on pleasing him. Don't forget, you live in an ant farm here. This is just an ant farm, right? That the real, we haven't even seen it yet. We're bar- we barely had a glimpse of it yet. It's only in Christ, really, that we get a glimpse of it. So... She decided to follow Satan and his plan for her life. You know, that's why I'm so adamantly against um, horoscopes and astrology and, and uh, getting your hands read and all those things. Because, you know, those things, it's not that they're not real. They are real. But it's Satan's plan for your life and his destiny for your life. And some of those things, they, you follow his plan and they can happen including his blessings. You follow the certain, there's certain steps to follow, seven steps to become successful in Satan's kingdom. And then there's God's way. Amen. So he says, I want you to do this. Humble yourselves, come before the Lord. And that's what we do constantly, right? That's what we do. In this church, we are humble before God. We come before him, and we just, keep, we just keep coming before him, right? And we just keep saying, Lord, I'm yours. Lord, I want you. Lord, I want to be close to you. And that's what he says. Verse 8, come close to God. God will come close to you. So there is a resistance 
what ends up happening is, is when we, without even knowing it, when we get too focused on this earth and when we get worldly, what James is saying is that there's this divide that begins to happen between us and God without even knowing it. Sometimes a coldness comes and a hardness comes. We're like, God, where are you? And you know, all it is is we're just, we've just started to focus on this world too much and we just need to come back to him. So you know what he says? He just says, come before me, wash your hands before me, purify your hearts. He says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And there's the tears and there's the sorrow and there's the grief, verse 9. And then he says, humble yourselves. And then verse 10 because what happens when you do, the Lord will lift you up in honor. He goes into verse 14. Are everybody okay so far? I said I was just going to read, not preach it. I'm kind of doing both. I'm not preaching, preaching, but I'm like preaching in between. Everybody all right? So he goes into verse 14, and he says, he says you know, and, and I think so many people have skipped over um, this little chunk. We know right here in verse 14, actually, can we bring up 13? Because this scripture right here is such a strange verse, and I think we skip over it and we go right to 14. But it's a, it, you remember, again, James is talking about this, thing, this, this theme all the way through his letter, and he says in verse 13, he says, what are you even doing planning your life out, thinking that you are in control of your life and planning it? Even when, you know, it's, it's not that you can't have a savings account, it's not that you can't say like next year, like, you know, I said last year, we need to paint our house next year. It was 19, I mean, into 20. It was like, I knew that I needed to do it to take care of the house. So it's not that you can't plan things, and so you've got to put some money aside, put some time aside. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying, you're just going to go about, you think you're going to love God, and you're going to be in God's kingdom, and then you're just going to go about and do your own business. And he says, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town, and we will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. He says in verse 14, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? And we all know this verse, but your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. In other words, we go back from James 1 now through James 4. What he's, this theme that we're getting to is that the enemy will try to get you into his system and into his way of living. And what that'll do is it'll get you into a rat race. So before you know it, you're warring, you're even killing, you're even murdering to get what you want because that's where that goes. Instead, we should be like, Lord, what do you have for my life? Even, Lord, not just long, not my grand call and the plan of God and the call of God on my life, that we just give that to him, but then we take the days into our own hands. But, Lord, what is tomorrow? What do you have for me today? To understand that the Lord and his will is really all that matters. Then we can run around and do a whole bunch of good things for God or a whole bunch of good things on this earth, and we think that they're profitable, we think that they're worthwhile, and meanwhile, it's just fog that's passing away. So finally, we get into James 5. And in James 5, verse 1, it says this. He says, look here, you rich people. So we can see the theme, one into four, and there's other, obviously, more of this, but just for time. And he says, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. He says, your wealth is rotting away 
and your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. These are the verses I was alluding to moments ago. Uh, the wealth that you were counting on, I love that it says this in the NLT. It adds this. The wealth you were counting on, everybody say counting on, will eat away your flesh like fire. The corroded treasure you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the for uh, listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay, the cries of those who harvest your This is none of us here. I'm just reading through James. I know we're not cheating people of their pay, but I just want us to get this theme here. What he's trying to establish here in the book of James is that uh, he says, he says, um, verse five, you have spent your years on earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire but what you didn't realize is you just fattened yourself for the day of slaughter that our focus on this earth and listen i've told you so many times i have testified to you so many times that god gives everything that we have is a gift from him and that he doesn't we don't god doesn't owe us a thing and we don't deserve a thing and i will tell you that i hope if i stop preaching that then slap me because that's the, that's the truth. And God gives us so much. All right, so I'm not saying that God can't give you and that and we, we, have very, we have so many gifts from him, but where is our focus? Because he, he says what happens is, is if we are not careful, it ends up that war, the devil's trying to pull us aside and get us back and our focus on this earth He's trying to get our focus back on the troubles of this earth and trying to get us back into the struggle of this earth because we have to try to get somewhere because we have this picture in our minds so many times the reason the struggle is there is because we think we should be somewhere and we're not. We should be someone and we're not. And all of those things really are not God. Those are just the enemy's plans for your life. And we know Jesus told his disciples, behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And all those disciples, they never, ever achieved it here on the earth. And so we must cleave to the fact that God has a greater plan and purpose for us than we understand here on this earth, and that everything we have on this earth is temporarily, temporary, it's temporarily here, and that it can just, it can come and go. Paul says, I've learned to have a lot. And I've learned to have a little. It's not about the a lot or little. I've learned that I'm going to trust in God no matter what the season, no matter what comes, and no matter what goes. Amen. So, all right, so I'm going somewhere. Say, preacher, I know you're going somewhere with this. Well, James is going somewhere with this. I'm just reading, I'm just reading James. But he says in verse 10, for examples of patience and suffering, now he now he comes to something else. So now it seems like, okay. We're coming back to what he started chapter one with, and all the and this theme is kind of weaved through the letter with so many other nuggets in between. But he says, suddenly now he's talking about patience and suffering again because see what happens is, if we will trust in God, <laughs> the world suffers because they're trying to get somewhere. But as Christians, when we reject Satan's kingdom. There is a suffering that comes. Because now, you know, it's, 
it was described to me as a child. It was something that was like very, very common. We don't talk about it much in the church anymore, but we used to say this phrase, against the flow. Everybody remember that phrase? Old Christians as not age, but that have been in the church a long time, right? Against the flow. Who's ever been in a current in your life? Who's ever been in a really strong, if not a river, I've been in those where it just wants to take you down. Uh, who's been in a whirlpool, at least, that you made in your pool or your hot tub or something, right? All right, so the whole system is moving in a particular direction. Satan and his kingdom, and unfortunately, the masses of this earth are following in his footsteps. And that's the way it's been since the beginning of time, and that's the way it will be till Revelation's finished. Unfortunately, I don't know what the percentage is, but it feels like 90% most of the time, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel few and far between that you're finding real believers anymore? It's not because God has retreated, and it's not because he's unavailable, and it's not because he doesn't love every single person on this earth. I firmly reject that there are some that are going to be saved and some that just can't be saved. I reject that. I think that's a lie from hell. I believe that everyone has the chance, but the things of this world are so appealing, and the idol of being, you know, success or doing or, or being satisfied um, on this earth is so appealing that it pulls them away. And so what happens is, is that is a flow of this earth. It is a flow that we are in. And when you turn, everybody picture it. Just picture it in your mind and remember the immense pressure of that current against you, right? Everything in you now has to fight to get to where God's calling you to be. Now, Thank God our strength is not in ourselves. And I just want to just stop right there, and I want to read a verse, which I had put in here to maybe read, and I'm going to read it. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a whole chunk of scripture there. In your own time, and if you're listening to this on the podcast, read verse 3 through verse 10. But basically, it talks about God's comfort, their suffering. But he says this. He says, in verse 8, We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability. Everybody say, beyond my ability. So I was crushed beyond my ability to endure. All right? So the current is so strong. The pull of this world to be like them and to just get with the system. Because I'm not, I'm not just talking about this, this book and what he's talking about. is not just like trying to achieve something, but also when we're talking about being worldly versus being godly, it's just also just going with the flow of things. A person can be very worldly, but also live on the street. I know that that's very strange because it's in their mind and not necessarily in their wallet. But it's just an idea that, you know, this, is, this world is it, and this is all that I've got, and uh, don't touch my cardboard box. Like, they could be, as weird as that is, it could be greedy about a blank, I mean, I understand why. I'm not saying I'm not compassionate. But, you know, greed could be right there, and, 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 and that person. So it's not the thing, it's the heart. But that entire system is pushing against us. So what happens when we turn, it will be beyond your ability. You don't have the strength. And he says, and, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, verse 9, we expected, everybody say we, expected to die. 
when we decided to trust the Lord and realize that it's only him and it's only through him, our comfort's in him and there is no one else and nothing else, he says, he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability. We thought we would die. So he says, as a result, we stopped relying on our ability. And in other words, we realized we don't have the strength. We realized we can't do it. And we learned to rely on God. Now, I'm preaching something to you that I know everyone in here knows. And so many times we go through God's word, and I've said this before, like children to our parents, we go, I know, I know, I know, right? Because we've heard it before, right? I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. And then I hate to pick on my son. Sorry, Elijah. It just happened to be right there. He says, I know, but then he doesn't do what I told him because he thought he was listening, but he wasn't listening. <laughs> and so it's good to be reminded over and over and over again, right? Be told again. Just one more time. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to tell you one more time. So God tells us things so many times. So I don't want anybody, I don't think anybody's condemned in our little church. But if you feel any pressure, I'm not doing that to, to, I think that the Lord's just encouraging us and causing us, listen, I've said it now for the six years we've been here, times will come where it will be nearly impossible. It's still, we still have freedom, we can come to church, we can, we can come here and we can worship God freely, but it will be nearly impossible to rely on God without being so, so, so committed. We're still in a time, even now, even with all the chaos of 2020 into 2021, we're still in a time where we can, we can dabble. We can kind of be in the world and kind of be in God for this time. We're still able to do it and not be washed away. But a time will come as that current increases. Come on, who recognizes it's increasing? It is it, that pressure. It's like the Hoover Dam you know, and there was threats of that, too, about it breaking open. But it's like, you know, there's cracks that have been, have been noticed, and there's some pressure building up, and some things are going to come washing down. <laughs> and if we haven't already decided that this world, basically, I think just like what I said Paul said, I've learned to have a lot, and I've learned to have a little. We have to just come to terms with, Lord, I'm thankful for everything I have, every breath in my lungs, everything you've given me. But Lord, if it's all washed away, I've already decided that I'm not going to be moved because my trust and my hope is in you. And that's what they said. So back into James, back into James now, he says, we go back to chapter 5. So he says, if you, for examples of suffering, dear brothers and sisters, verse 10, James 5, verse 10, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So why does he suddenly, we're talking about, he's talking about um, this struggle between the wor- being in the world and, and trusting in God, and then finally he's talking about suffering because he's talking about these prophets of the Lord, verse 10, had decided, I'm... Every single one of them was persecuted. Even Jesus testifies about that, right? Who knows the church history? Who knows Bible history? Every single one of them because they didn't go with the flow of things. 
Because what happened in the Old Testament is every single time we'd have a good king that rises up and restores the nation and brings some freedom into the nation and to bring some Christianity, let's just fast forward to 2020, 2000s. Finally, a king brings some Christianity back into the nation. What happens? Just all we got to do is bring in the next king and what's going to happen, right? Who is so disheartened as you're reading through Kings and Chronicles, even through Judges, right? Up and down, up and down. They love God, they hate God. They love God, they hate God. And so what happens is these prophets are coming before the Lord, representing the Lord, and they are constantly being persecuted because they will not go with the flow. Say, I won't go with the flow. So he says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering, for instance, you know about Job. Now, this is so interesting. He brings in Job, and he says, a man of great endurance. So, we hear now here that in James chapter 5, a conclusion all the way from James 1. He's talking about, you might be going through some things now, and it's because of this. It's because you've decided to turn from this world and turn to God. And every single time the Lord asks you to let go of something in the world, to let go a little bit more of this world and to trust in Him, you're going to have flack from the enemy. Every single time you decide, Lord, I'm going to trust you a little bit more, you need to understand that doesn't mean suddenly you're going to have wings and you're just going to start flying <laughs> over the situation. But every time you say, God, I'm going to truly trust you in this area, Every single time, trouble will come, but we have to understand, going all the way back to chapter 1, he says it's an opportunity for great joy because what it's actually going to be for your benefit, what you're going through, <laughs> what you're going through is for your benefit because your faith is going to get a chance to grow, and what's going to end up happening when all this is said and done and all the loyalty, all the dust is settled, the world will have no grip on you. It can't hold you because you had no choice but to rely on him. Amen. Can anybody amen? So he says, think about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. Everybody say, at the end. For the Lord is... Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. And what he's talking about is, listen, guys, this world is going to try to hold you. And when you let go of it and trust in God, I'm not telling you the time frame. I'm not telling you it's going to be a day. It's going to be a month or your entire life. But I'm promising you that God will watch over you. God will care for you. God will lead you. God will be with you. He is full of tenderness. He's full of mercy. He's in it with you. He's strengthening you. And then he goes into verse 13. Now we're closing down uh, the book of James. We get to verse 13, and he says, Are any of you, and this will lead into what we talk about next week, but he says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. He says, Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other 
so that you may be healed. So he's talking about you might be going through some things, but I want you to get before the Lord. Again, what James 4 was talking about, humbling ourselves before the Lord, coming to him, giving it to him. And then he says something that this is a whole sermon of itself, and this will lead into next week, but I love this verse. He says, and we all know it, the fervent prayer you may know it as. This says the earnest prayer of a righteous person. You might know it as the fervent prayer of a righteous man. It says it avails much, right? It is, uh, there is great power and produces wonderful results. And he says, Elijah was as human as we are. Now, this just seems to come out of nowhere. We've got James 1 through James 5. All of a sudden here at the very end, we've been talking about going through stuff and trials and struggles and, and this war to either the world or you. And then all of a sudden, Elijah comes in here. And it's not by coincidence. Everybody say it's not by coincidence. Because it says Elijah was as human as we are. Everybody say, I'm as human as Elijah was. <laughs> and yet it says Elijah prayed earnestly that no rain would fall and none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. Now, before I close, I want to just say this, that, and that's what I'm going to talk about next week. I read all this, but I needed to go through this because this is what's interesting, is the book of James is talking about us, is we have to make a choice. Everybody say, oh, you've got to make the choice to not hold on to this world, but to cleave to God. And when we look at the at Elijah, and we're going to look there in 1 Kings. You can read it if you like ahead of time, but in 1 Kings 17 and 18, I'm going to preach on next week. But it talks about how Elijah is human, and God actually trains him and teaches him and preps him for this battle with the world. And basically, you uh, will see, and, and for all of us that know the story, you have to Trust in God and rely on God, and there is no other way. So I just want to say this. I'm going to close with this little paragraph. Where is our strength and our dependence? And this is just a reminder. Today's sermon is really just for us to kind of search through our hearts because, you know, sometimes, and this is interesting, it's interesting that the idols were small. You ever think about that? They had, like, the big shrines, but you ever realize that, like, they had personal idols? They had a small one they could carry around. You ever think about that? Sometimes idols are small. Sometimes idols are small. Sometimes we don't even realize they're there. You're just carrying them around. They're just, in, they're just a part of your life. You don't even realize that you have gotten in the system and you're and you, in idol worship. If you can't put that down for one day, then you're worshiping an idol. As, strong, as, as crazy as that is, that's the truth. Because you can't trust God. But it says, so I just want to say this. Where's our dependence? Have we completely surrendered to God? Because what happens when it's all gone? If you don't deal with it now in your hearts, what happens when God does it forcefully or the world does it forcefully? 
that we have to depend on him. Let's get dependent in our hearts now so that if the world forces us into that position, and that's when I look at Elijah, that we're going to trust God now. So there's no gain here. This is just, just for us to remember, right? Just a reminder. There's no gain here. No achievements or success will ever truly satisfy. Who, who can agree with this? It's never enough. I'm in my home, and I know I need to take care of it, because if I don't take care of it, I've also noticed you could be like, Lord, I don't want to focus on this world, but then your house rots. So, like, you have to paint, and you got to take care of the grass, because otherwise it becomes a dump. So it's like this struggle to, like, take care of it, but then not be obsessed with it. But at the same time, it's so uh, easy then to get obsessed with it, right? It's so easy to keep going there. So I'm, like, always trying to, like, well, do what I need to do and take care of it and not go crazy, right? But we need to realize this, that it's never enough. We're like, well, I put this walkway here because I, I want to avoid the mud. But I need another one here because now I need my garbage cans here. And it's like, it's like, well, this would be better here, and that would be better there, and that would be better this. And, and I tell Dawn, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, it, it will never end. Because as soon as you get it all perfect, the roof needs to be replaced. And as soon as that's perfect, you know, get, now you work your way down to the bottom again, and you start at the top again. It's never enough. We need to, so it doesn't mean don't do it, okay? That's what I want us to get. It doesn't mean you don't do the things that you need to do and take care of your family, take care of them, be responsible stewards. God will judge us for those things too, right? But that we just need to be reminded we'll never be satisfied in it. So do it and realize, okay, Lord, I'm going to do this, but I know already it's not going to satisfy me. There's going to be this dissatisfaction. I'm going to look for more because what I'm really searching is for you. I need to just be reminded of that. And we're never going to be able to compare our earthly temporal sense of purpose to our eternal purpose. Equally, just as equal as the achievement side and success side, we also, then there's the, the other side of our humanity, which is the hopelessness, right? We need to know that they're, and so then they search for it in drugs and in alcohol and all kinds of other things, right? But so that there's no hope in this world. We have no earthly guarantees of tomorrow. We have to come to terms with the frailty and suddenness of the human existence. But in Christ, we have hope and peace. Our heavenly home is being prepared for us. Our inheritance is stored secure for all eternity in heaven. There's no such thing as death. Death is non-existent. It only applies to those who put their faith and trust in this world. But for those of us who put our faith and trust in God, believers who depend on God and His faithfulness, uh, we have an eternal hope. Amen. And so I just wanted to, I know it's a very simple sermon, I wasn't ultra energetic and running around today. Like, I didn't leave the pulpit. Can you believe it? But I believe the Lord just wanted to lay out a foundation, and he's going to build on it more, just that it's very simple. We must come to the place, and it's, it's such a simple uh, message, that we have to trust in God. We have to completely and totally just reject this world. We're in this world, so you're still in it, but we are not of it. Amen? Amen. All right. We just thank you, God, for your word. I pray... You just put the simplicity of your word down deep into our hearts, Lord. Let them be like seeds in good soil that grow. And Lord, not just produce a tree, but produce fruit. Thank you, Lord, that you are producing something in us for someone else, Lord, for others to be able to grab a hold of our faith because we have gone through it. Because we have, Lord, we've worked through that process and we're trusting in you so that when, then, Lord, we can be that message of trust and faith to this world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Bless